Hala's been around now for just over five years. Um, we started out as a, a small warehouse roasting coffee, doing online and wholesale and some farmers markets. And we set up our cafe about a year after that. Um, we've been cranking ever since. When we started Tala, I was also still serving at Shake and um, actually the first couple of years of Tala, it was hard for me to like I would do student ministries and see God moving and all these kids like really, you know, being excited about faith and then I'd go to work and be like putting out muffins and like serving lattes and for me it was hard to see God in my work here as much as I could at, like when I directly am serving in a um, vocational ministry type of environment. I grew up in a missions family um, living overseas in Asia for my whole upbringing. It's, it's a different environment, uh, not being on a, a missions field overseas in the same way. Um, I equally love and celebrate it as much. I believe all work is missions oriented, regardless of whether or not it's in a church setting or it's sweeping floors or writing tax reports. I think one of the things that we've seen as um, an impact in the community has been almost really covert. Like we've had people walk in and just say, literally like, I don't know why I feel this way, but I feel like this place is so welcoming and so I can be myself here. And it's just interesting to hear from people who, they don't know we're Christians and they're not Christians and they're not saying it from that perspective, but they do sort of immediately feel welcome and like they can be themselves and they can sort of find a community. Um, and I don't even know why. I mean, we are intentional and we have great customer service and all of those things, but um, a lot of it, I think, is just the light of the Spirit. We want to be um, Christ in our workplace, and the fact that we get to do this coffee shop, meet um, people from all different walks of life, all different backgrounds, people that I would never necessarily meet um, in a church setting, I get to meet and do life with. I think one thing the church can do to help is to just keep showing up not only to our cafe, but to other places. I think, you know, a lot of people are, are intimidated to walk into a church and in a way that they're not intimidated to walk into a cafe. And the cafe is a community center. It's a place where people from all walks of life are happy and willing to walk in and, and feel really at home. You can stand in line next to somebody you would never meet in any other circumstance and certainly never in a church. I'm Stefan. And I'm Joanna. We are small business owners and there is work to be done. Well, good morning. As uh, Joanna and Stefan just said, we're going to be uh, talking about, is God interested in the work that we do? Is he interested in the normal task of our Monday through Friday lives? What is God up to when he's putting us in these different places and assignments? And how is it that our faith is intersecting with our work? Um, if you're like me, you just watch that video and you want a latte right now. Um, I had not seen that all the way through till just now. And uh, I would love to uh, run over to Tala and pick up one of those up. Um, my name is Ben Dockery, and uh, I get to kick off this new series. And if you're newer to Christ Church, when we start a new series like this, we like to take just a minute on the front end and sort of say, here's what our hopes are. This is what we're trying to do um, as we start a new series. These are some of the themes we're going to emphasize. Um, so the series is called There's Work to Be Done. And what we're going to do is spend five weeks, the next five weeks, looking at five key themes, uh, really characteristics of who God is. 
And as we look at those five characteristics, each one of them, we're going to be looking at a different psalm. Um, inside of the psalm, we're going to study who God is, and we're going to see how his attributes really uh, work themselves out in our own lives and in our own callings. In other words, what's true about God ends up showing up on the earth through his image bearers. He, he uh, takes his character, the attributes, what's true of him, and he drops it into uh, the world. And we're specifically going to be applying that to the responsibilities, the task, the work that God has given us uh, to do. So before we do that, two quick qualifiers. Throughout this series, as we say that, when we're talking about our work, um, we're going to be talking about not just uh, compensation work or employment work. We're really talking about what is it that God has asked you to contribute or to make out of the world. So this is paid work and unpaid work, right? This is, these are the responsibilities you have. So no matter what life stage you're in right now, when we talk about work, we're talking about the things that you do on a normal uh, basis that are not leisure, right? That's what we're talking about. And then secondly, um, we are going to make uh, some, uh, we're making some specific uh, connections of these transferable characteristics of God. And we're going to try to do that each week by applying the key theme, today is goodness, to different sectors of society. And we're doing our best at this, um, but you're going to know better than we are. And when you discuss this in your small group, you're going to see how it applies to your work maybe better than uh, we can actually do ourselves. So in the next five weeks, the five themes we're going to look at today is the theme of goodness. Then we're going to look at, so goodness, think about anyone that's in labor, anyone that's in business, anyone that's in creating value out of a new product. That's what we're going to be thinking about. How do you create good out of the world or recognize good in the world? Then we're going to be talking about justice next week. So those of you that maybe are in government or in attorneys or social workers that are standing up for justice, we're going to look at that. And then third, we're going to be looking at beauty. So those of you who are artists or maybe designers, those of you who are architects, we're going to be focusing on the application in that way. Third, compassion, or fourth, compassion. So maybe you're work in the medical field or pharmaceuticals, maybe you take care of an aging parent, maybe take care of young children. How does compassion drop down out of heaven into the earth through the work that you're doing? And then lastly, we'll look at wisdom. Um, and wisdom, we'll think about researchers and educators and engineers and people that are doing knowledge work. That's really, that'll be the emphasis. So today, again, the first one, we're kicking off with this idea of goodness and would love uh, you to participate throughout the series. Now, one way you can do that just quickly is later... <coughs> Excuse me, later today, uh, those of you in the room, those of you joining online, if we have your email address, we're going to send out an email, and it's a two-minute survey. Those of you who think a long time on surveys, it's a three-minute survey for you. But uh, it is a short survey that's going to help you tell us what it is that you do. What are your primary responsibilities? Maybe what skills has God given you? What experiences have you had? And when you do that, it'll help us through the coming weeks and months to curate and create resources that we can send that might be interesting to you in the field of work that you do. And so we'd love to get some feedback from you on that survey. It will help us put together even the rest of this series, okay? So having said that, uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Psalm chapter 65. Psalm chapter 65. If you're in the room and you're using one of the paper Bibles underneath, that's page 569. Page 569. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 5. And the psalmist says this. He says, You answer us with awesome and righteous deeds. God our Savior, the hope of all the ends of the earth and the farthest seas, who formed the mountains by his power. Having armed yourself with strength, you stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of the waves, and the turmoil of the nations. The whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders. Where morning dawns and where evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. 
This is already poet, poetic language, but it's about to get even sort of a little bit more poetry here. So verse 9, you care for the land and you water it. You enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with grain. So you have ordained it. You drench its furrows and level its ridges. You soften it with showers and bless its crops. You crown the year with your bounty, or maybe your translation says, with your goodness. That's the theme we're looking at today. Your carts overflow with abundance. The grasslands of the wilderness overflow. The hills are clothed with gladness. The meadows are covered with flocks. And the valleys are mantled with grain. The sh they shout for joy and they sing. So inside of the psalm, um, this theme of goodness actually is echoing over and over and over several different times. And I think it's, it's uh, for our sake this morning, it'll be easy to kind of put it in three different buckets. The first one is where goodness shows up inside of creation, those first three or four verses there. The second one is where goodness shows up, where God is providing for the earth, where he's providing for his people. So through provision. And then lastly, we're going to see where goodness shows up in terms of redemption. What is it that God is doing uh, to redeem uh, his people? So Number one, this idea of where goodness shows up inside of creation. You might have noticed um, in those first few verses there, it talks about the way that God formed the mountains of the earth, where he is, he is uh, ruling over the seas um, and the nations themselves. And so the psalmist would be referring here to this concept or this idea that's foundational to Christianity, um, the idea that God has created the world. And so when he's thinking about God creating the world, he's forming the mountains here, as it says, this would be pointing back to Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, which is a foundational place to begin to understand God's plan for work in general, because this is the first time it shows up. When he places Adam and Eve in the garden, the very first thing he tells them to do is he tells them to work it and to keep it and to cultivate it and to make order out of this garden in which he's placed them. So he puts them in the garden and he blesses the work and asks them to work in the same way that God has worked. And when we saw the order of creation, like one day after the other, after the other, at the end of every single day, one of the refrains that comes up is, as he finished this, it was good. And then it was good. And it was good. All six days, God actually says that it was good until he gets to uh, human creation. He says it was very good. But this theme of goodness is embedded in creation all the way back to Genesis chapter one, where we see that God himself is the first worker. The first thing we see him doing is working, interestingly, right? He is making something, he is making the world, and he's putting order inside the world. And then he has these image bearers who are working just like him inside of the world. So we see this, um, this theme of goodness that's embedded inside of uh, creation. Um, there's an author named Dorothy Sayers. She has a little essay called Why Work? And if you have been to the Lakelight Institute website yet, if you haven't and you want to read this essay, we have posted it there for you. You can find that um, online if you want to read more about this. But Dorothy Sayers writes an essay of how are you to view work as a Christian? Is, is there a view of work which should carry the Christian mind into their normal working lives? And this is what she says. Stay with me on, uh, on this quote. But she says, I ask that it, meaning work, I ask that work should be looked upon not as a necessary drudgery to be undergone for the purpose of making money, but as a way of life in which the nature of man should find its proper exercise and delight, and so fulfill itself to the glory of God. Now she goes on. So work is not a means to an end, is what she's arguing. Work is a good in and of itself. Then here, here's what she says next. That it, again, she's talking about work, that work should, in fact, be thought of as a creative activity 
undertaken for the love of the work itself. And that man made in God's image should make things as God makes things. Dorothy Sayers is saying this, God is the first worker. He has invited us to get to do the work that he has started in the world and we get to join him in this creational goodness. So the first theme I want you to see about goodness inside of the world is that it starts off in creation and we get to see it in creation all around us. Now, secondly, uh, starting in verse 9 through 13, and we're going to spend the most time on these verses this morning. In 9 through 13, when the psalmist is writing about this, he now changes the language a little bit. It's less focused on creation and it's more about how God is actually providing inside of the world. He changes his focus to how it is that God is providing inside of the world. So, uh, goodness inside of our provision. Now, this imagery of watering the earth abundantly, right? That's part of the phrase. That grain is coming up out of the ground, that the crops are overflowing. That's what he's uh, describing here. These are all harvest, this is harvest language. Some people refer to this as a harvest psalm, psalm of thanksgiving, but focused on the harvest at the end of the season where they would actually visually see the abundance or the blessing of God um, right in front of them. So the pastures filled with flocks, the valleys with grain. This is an abundance, these abundance themes uh, that have to do with how God is providing the world today. Now, it may not strike you immediately, but these terms about grain and about flocks and about crops, these are labor terms. These are business terms. These are the trade of the day. That's what's happening. So he's essentially describing the Fortune 500, the, the largest contributors to the economy at the time. That's what he's describing when he's saying inside the harvest, because in that day, that's what they would have been, right? So he's, in a sense, he's saying that the labor force, right, the work that we do, the marketplace business enterprise is the main way in which God is actually providing for people inside the world today, right? Think about that for just a second. That a Christian view of work is potentially making the argument, you can see it in the Psalm, that the primary way God is providing goodness inside the world today is through business ventures. It's through people working hard with their hands and laboring, right? Through craftsmen. That's what God is doing inside the world. And that maybe that is one of the things that's being held up here as a good thing. Now, I think it's challenging for us for all sorts of reasons to believe that statement that I just said. Some of you may be completely on board and you're with me, but some of you may have some hesitations about it. And I think there's probably some good reasons why you would. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to raise three objections to the point I just made, three challenges uh, that I think are difficult for you, difficult for me to see the way in which God is using enterprise and business and labor and the normal works of our day, making breakfast in the morning, that it's difficult to see how God is involved in the middle of that, okay? The first one is this, is that there's some significant translation work that needs to happen. And when I say translation work, I don't mean like you don't understand the Hebrew and it's, I don't, I'm not talking about anything like that. I just mean that because for you and me, most of our lives are mediated through something besides original creation. Like we are not living on a farm, most of us. So because we're not living in a place where our hands go get the work of, our, uh, of the day and feed ourselves that way, it's all mediated through something else, right? It's through a screen, it's through a car, it's through a coffee pot, it's through something else. And because it's mediated, you have to do some extra translation work to see how God is involved in the middle of those things. Now, I had a breakthrough moment when this made much more sense to me. Uh, when someone, uh, a, an author did a thought experiment on this, and I'm going to do it with you this morning. And then he said this, what if... We went back to Adam and Eve 
And somehow I, I brought Adam and Eve, those of you joining us online, we're in Lake Forest. If I, if I dropped Adam and Eve right here on the platform with me this morning at Christ Church, right? And they knew they were in the garden and God said, you got work to do and this work is good work. And they showed up right here, right? Maybe the first question they would ask me is, what is that thing on the table by you, right? What is, what is this? Is it filled with, is that clean water that you're drinking, right? Yes, it is. And I would say that, well, that's a glass. Well, what's a glass? I'm like, oh, um, it's like sand and limestone that somebody somewhere crafted and made it to hold liquid. Wow, that is good, right? What a good thing to have something like this standing here. And then they might also look around and see these bright lights pointed at me like, what in the world is that thing, right? Is that a star inside the building? Like, what did, what did you do? Is that fire burning? What is that up there? And I would try to explain and, you know, get stuck on some guy named Thomas Edison somewhere created this product and we, we bought a light. Like, I, I would, you know, I'd have a hard time explaining it. And then maybe Eve interrupts and she says, and when I wrote this, it was like 40 degrees outside, so go with the illustration, right? She's like, why is it cold outside and warm inside of here? Like, how did you guys do that? It's like, okay, that experience is a result of we bought an HVAC system somewhere from somebody who knows how to do that. They're, they're producing goodness and we purchased it as a church and you get to have moderated temperatures. I don't know. Like, if you start to do that, you can see how Adam and Eve's mind might start exploding with all the goodness that's around us right now, right? Now think for a second, and the professor didn't say this, but this is my imagination, right? Let's imagine I take them to Costco, right? <laughs> like up and down, Costco, like goodness, 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 goodness. Next aisle, goodness, 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 everywhere, right? But sometimes it's hard for us to see that because we see Nabisco or Kraft or whatever the name of the product is, and we think about the company, but we haven't done the translation work to go, wow, all they're doing is taking God's good creation and repackaging it, making value out of it, and then allowing people to transfer it throughout the economy, right? And if we can do the work of translation, you can walk into Costco, and the way that this psalm ends by heart singing about the harvest, you can start doing your praise and worship right in the middle of Costco, right? You can have a vision to see God's goodness inside of the grocery store. And it's an amazing thing to do. And I think the psalmist would have that mindset. And I think we can have it too. I think sometimes it's a little bit hard because translation work is difficult for us to do. Um, there's an author, John Calvin, who's writing about the way that he sees this. This is several hundred years ago, but um, let's put this on the screen if we can. He, he's doing some of this translation work and he says that God has revealed himself and daily discloses himself in the whole workmanship of the universe. As a consequence, men cannot open their eyes without being compelled to see him. Wherever you cast your eyes, there is no spot in the universe where you cannot discern at least some sparks of God's glory. It can be hard to see God's goodness uh, because we have to do this uh, translation process through these mediated goods that come to us, but we can do it. Uh, secondly, I think it can be challenging uh, to see the goodness of God in these ways uh, because we have maybe a more limited view of economic things. Um, and here's what I mean, a, a maybe a, a limitation on understanding abundance. We have a view in which it is always comparing us versus them. Um, some of you don't struggle with this at all. You went to school. And by the way, I, I am so far, I'm so ill-equipped to try to start talking about things of the economy. I don't even have the vocabulary for it. So I'm starting down that trail, but just I'm owning up to, I don't know what I'm doing in that. But I know this, 
I know enough to know this, that if, if the way I think about my life is that Siler Thomas has 10 pieces of pie and I only have four pieces of pie. And if I start thinking that he took three pieces of my pie or I should have more of his, it's going to be a very difficult life because I have a limited view of how much pie there is. Instead of going, maybe Siler made the pie bigger and I would have only had two without him. But since he made it so much bigger, I get to have an extra piece, right? But if you spend all of your time with a limited view of creation, a limited view of abundance, of God's goodness in the world, you will spend your time and effort always comparing to who has exactly how much. And you'll, that's how you will spend uh, your time doing it. But having an abundance view of God's creation, right? Having a view in which you see that there's constantly new value that's being created in the world, that that's how God designed the world to do, uh, that you can see that there is expansion and opportunity for enterprise and an invitation from God to actually create value inside of the world, right? This is one of his blessings specifically on the business community. Now, um, Julie and I took the kids. We do this every fall. One of the things that we do is we go out to one of the apple orchards in Wisconsin. And it, this is an amazing thing. I don't know if you guys have done this before or not, but you go to somebody else's place of work. You pay to get there. And then when they get there, they give you a basket and they count how many people are there, like grandparents, and all the kids. And they're like, that'll be $700 to go in my orchard and work inside of my place to do the work for me to get the apples off the tree, right? Now, what this company and what others have done is they have not only created value by growing lots and lots of apples, right? But they've also created an experience in which we're willing to pay money for to go take our kids to go pull apples off the tree. But when I'm there, the, the reason I bring it up is this, is that when I see those apples, I mean, there are like buses and buses and buses of people or trailers and trailers and trailers of people pulling the apples off the trees. And there's still apples when we get there. It makes no sense to me. And guess what? Even as people walk out bushel after bushel of apple, there's more on the ground than there are in the trees. It's like it, it, there's just apples after apples. And we can take those home and actually take the seeds and start planting new apples at our house if we wanted to, right? Because the way that God has made the world in, in this interesting way is he has made it with these potencies inside the ground where you can bring it out and you can create not just new products, but new experiences that people can have that are valuable. And when you can begin to see those as the goodness of God, it actually can change the way you like the psalmist. You can have new eyes to see the goodness of God showing up inside of the normal economic reality of our lives. So instead of having a limited view, we have an expanded view. Now, for most of you, this is not your issue. This is not the challenge. Uh, that is not difficult for you. That actually might be something that's easier. But the opposite side of it might be more challenging to you. And that is this, is that there is also a way that it's difficult to see God's goodness because you have an unlimited view of abundance, or you have an unlimited view of God's goodness. In other words, you have a completely unregulated view of this um, idea that we just talked about. So the question is this, are there limits to the harvest, right? As the psalmist is explaining this and showing what's happening in the rivers and the flocks filled, right, with, and the crops overflowing, the, the language there when he's holding the cart and it says the, the cart is spilling out on either side, one of the old translations says that the fat is dripping off the sides of the cart. That's the imagery that it uses there as it translated. So is there any kind of limit to that goodness of God, right? Is there something that God wants us to do? Um, is more always better? That's another way to ask the question. So is more always better? Chris Wright, who's a um, commentator on Old Testament, um, uh, he, he's an author and has written a bunch of different things, but he's writing about the ethical imagination of Israel at the time. And when he's commenting on this, he says this, he says, I won't read you the whole quote, but he talks about how the ethical imagination of Israel 
is one that is always marked by responsiveness to the character of God. So in other words, the people of God are looking to God, what is God like? And that's what I'm supposed to be like in the calling that he's given me. So what are the attributes that are true about God? And I'm going to respond to that and I'm going to reflect that in my life in the callings that I have. Okay. So uh, a prominent um, example of this is in Deuteronomy chapter 24. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 24, Moses finally has all the people together. He's giving them different rules for society, how they're going to be governed as a people. And in Deuteronomy chapter 24, we're going to look at this. He gives them an example of harvest. So I'm picking out an Old Testament example and a New Testament example. Here's an Old Testament example of harvest, okay? So uh, Moses writes this. He says, when you are, I think it's on the screen, when you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, don't go back and get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. So that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. It kind of repeats it in a different way. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. And when you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. So remember that you were slaves in Egypt. And this is why I command you to do this. So God's people had been living in unbelievable work conditions for, for generations, right? They had been living this way. And now God is going to say, when you, when you go take care of your field, I want people that are traveling down the road from somewhere outside, when they top the hill and they see a field over there and it just got harvested except for around the edges, there's these little pieces that look like somebody could go back and still work there. I'm providing opportunity inside the field for someone who, who doesn't have the opportunity. So the fatherless, the widow, the foreigner at that time would not have had the same opportunity as the Israelites. And so as a result, God is going to give them instruction on how to care for those people. Leave them some work to do. Give them an opportunity to come and to care for themselves. God is not only providing for his people, but he's providing for uh, those that have less than in the midst of the way he's asking them to work. In other words, he's limiting in some way how it is that they handle the harvest that they have. Now, you may be thinking, this is an Old Testament example, whatever, we don't have to do that anymore. That's like a, you know, that's probably not a good application. Well, let's turn to Jesus. You're probably going to wish I stayed in the Old Testament once I get there, because Jesus isn't just kind of your awesome Pinstagram, or Pinstagram, there's a new one, <laughs> Pinterest Instagram quote that you read every once in a while. Sometimes Jesus says things that you wish you could just turn the page on. Uh, Luke chapter 12 might be one of those for you. So Luke chapter 12, um, this is, he's about to jump to a parable. Uh, and interestingly, here's an aside note, because I'm, man, I am rolling, aren't I? I'm sorry, let me slow down. In the midst of Jesus' parables, he tells 37 different parables. Um, and as he explains those parables 32 different times, the content of the parable has to do with a working situation. And out of those 32 different times, uh, 27 of those, the main point of the parable is actually having something to do with work or vocation. So it's interesting. Jesus is constantly referring to our working lives to help us understand the kingdom of God. That's what he's doing. So he does it here in Luke chapter 12. So let me read. Um, and as a setup, Jesus is teaching. A guy comes up and says, hey, rabbi, my family, somebody just died in the family. My brother's not sharing the inheritance with me. Will you make him share the inheritance with me? That's the context, okay? And then Jesus says this. He says, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. 
And then he told them this parable. He says, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. The reason we're looking at this is because Jesus is talking about a harvest again. Just like Psalm 65, just like Deuteronomy 24, Jesus is talking about a harvest. It's the story. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store all my crops. So he said, this is what I do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I'll store my surplus of grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for years. Take life easy, eat and drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get all that you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Now he goes on to give two more examples there, but he ends that chapter by saying this, for whoever, for whoever has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Told you you'd want to go back to the Old Testament, right? <laughs> now, the question here is not, is it okay to have a savings account, right? Is it okay to have a 401k? That's not what Jesus is talking about here. But he is saying this, is that when the harvest shows up and abundance comes, if that's your experience, if you're singing and celebrating just like the psalmist because of the goodness that has showed up in your life, be careful that you don't depend on yourself. Because what the person in the parable is doing is they're saying, I've got everything I need and I can completely make my life about myself right now. I can make my life inward. I can trust in myself. And when you do that, an abundance and specifically financial abundance has the chance to allow you to depend on yourself and to cut God out of your life. And what, what Jesus is saying is you want to experience the goodness that I made in the world, don't cut God out of your life. You need to constantly have a dependence on God with the possessions that he has given you. One of the reasons that I love Christ Church is because people that have experienced some of these harvest times are so generous uh, with what they have. Is that just like Deuteronomy 24, where the goodness of God is distributed to people that don't have everything that they might have, that people inside of this church are doing this all the time. So that you're starting ministries in which you're helping people who are in places of need. That you're constantly looking out for the good of others in the same way that God has done for his own people. And in doing that, we are replicating, we're taking his character and we're like scattering it throughout the world, right? One of the ways to think about this is being light inside of the darkness. And it's one of the reasons that I love Christ Church is that these teachings of Jesus to have an eternal mindset with the temporary circumstances we have drives us to be people of love and people of compassion. So the goodness of God, oftentimes through the enterprise of business and labor, is the primary way that God is providing for the world today. And it's a good thing. That's the second point. And the last point is this. So we saw it in creation. We saw it in provision. And lastly, I want you to see it inside of redemption, okay? So if you have your Bibles, look at verse 14 and 15. Psalm 65, verse 14 and 15. It's not in there. <laughs> it stops at verse 13. So we're at the end of the Psalm. We just did provision. But now I want to talk about redemption like a good pastor, right? I want to move on past the harvest. But here's what I did. I skipped verses 1 through 4. And I intentionally skipped verses 1 through 4 because I want you to see this. How is it that you actually um, buy into this vision of the world, this view of work that God is laying out? Like, how do, you, how do you take on the mindset of the psalmist? And specifically, how do you do it when it's not times of abundance, right? How do you do it when you're riding the stock market like this? Or how do you do it when your company, instead of just taking off, went the exact opposite way and you lose everything? What do you do when you don't even have work at all, 
Like, what do you do, not in times of harvest, but in times of drought? Is there something that God has done that allows his goodness to be on display even in the midst of drought, right? Even in the midst of pain, even when there is no abundance or apparently there's no abundance. Well, I think the psalmist is aware of that. And I think it's actually the foundation in which he launches into the rest of the psalm. So uh, I didn't put the verses on the screen, but I'll just tell you what he says. When he invites them in in Psalm 1 there, he talks about being overwhelmed by the reality of his own sin and rebellion before God. And he says, when I have prayers and I experience the sin and the challenge of life, I run to God and God is a God who forgives me. And then he says this, he uses the phrase, I experience the goodness of God inside of the house of God or inside of the temple of God. One of the reasons we don't think David wrote this is it uses temple language. David didn't get to build the temple, Solomon did. So the psalmist is saying that he experiences the goodness of God by experiencing the grace of God in the forgiveness of God. In other words, God's goodness, that doesn't change. It doesn't ride the economy up and down at all. Day in and day out, his mercy is new. His goodness is experienced by coming to him and experiencing the forgiveness that's offered inside of Jesus. When I was preparing for this sermon, I called um, several different people. One of them um, was a, uh, uh, someone who works in finance in the area. And I was saying, hey, we're going to get to talk about this, Psalm 65. What advice do you have for Christ Church? You know, what would you say if you got to stand up here? And do this. And he thought about it for several days, actually, and got back to me. Um, And when he got back to me, he said this. Um, And he's someone who has been very successful. Um, And he said that, I think the reality when I think about God's goodness and my workplace is that for me, oftentimes, I find my identity in the work that I do. And when I'm successful at work and my boss thinks I'm doing a good job, that's really when I know who I am. But one of the things I appreciate about Christ Church, one of the things I appreciate about Sunday mornings is that when I return and I gather together with other saints, is I'm remembered that the first thing that's true about me is not the success or failure of my working life. I don't work for that name. I'm given that name by God. I'm loved by God. I'm called a child of God. And because I'm called a child of God, and that doesn't change, because I experience that goodness every single day, then I can go and work for the good and the glory of God. Then because of who I am, the security I have there, then I'm free to go work and be creative and create value and come up with new ideas and and take off on enterprises and maybe take some risk because of the name I have experiencing the goodness and forgiveness of Jesus in redemption. That's how I can go out and work in the world. And I think his advice is good advice. I want to close with it. So as we finish each one of these series, we're talking about goodness today. Again, next week, we're going to look at the theme of justice. Pastor Mike's going to be doing that, and then beauty, and then compassion, and then wisdom. At the end of each one, we've selected a prayer to pray specifically for someone inside of one of these industries. And so today, we're going to be praying for those of you who might work in the financial services area. And we partner with a group who's written a bunch of these different prayers uh, for specific um, callings and different careers. And so as we close today, I'm just going to read this prayer. If you know someone who serves in this industry, you can pray for them. I kind of pray with me along that to this end. But there's work to be done. There's good work to be done. God has invited you into it, and he's working through you to bring about his name on the earth. So pray with me if you would. Lord, you are the supplier of all the resources that we have. You have made us stewards, cultivators, administrators of your creation. We pray for all the professionals in financial services industry. May they use their capacities and gifts to faithfully administer the resources they're given 
to serve their community through economic activity. God, may those in this industry be honest and truthful. May they be transparent in their business interactions and have wisdom in their deals and their decisions. May they reflect your image as both creator and sustainer of all things. Help them to avoid temptation, to engage in dishonest practices or selfish tendencies, which would exploit instead of serve others. God, we pray that your love would guide their relationships with coworkers, with clients and customers. We pray that in their work, they would see their calling to be responsible fiduciaries. Help them to see their work contribute to the economic stability of families, the generosity of saints, the education of children, the retirement accounts of the elderly, and so much more. We pray that, people behind, that they would see people behind these numbers. Use them to love and to serve these people well. God, we pray that you would strengthen and give a sense of vision to their vocation as it contributes to economic stability, 